Well, hey, everybody. So I've been attending East Glenville for 27 years. I am, I am not a pastor or the pastor at all, but I've never been so blessed to be able to share God's word with his people. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, fill this place with your spirit. Help us to feel your presence. There's nothing special, awesome, or saving about my words, but let me be a vessel for your word. Open our hearts, our minds, encourage us, heal us, strengthen us, restore us, and break some chains. Amen. I'll read the scripture in a second, but I wanted to start off with a little bit of a story. So I have a confession to make. I know I might seem all put together on the outside, right? Right? (laughs) You're lucky I wore shoes today, okay? My garage is a mess. So I was finishing the lawn, and my wife Kim steps outside with a bin. She's been clearing some things out of the attic eaves or our basement closet or something like that. So she says, can you put this in the garage? (laughs) I'm not fond of that place. In addition to storing all the stuff we need to maintain our home and entertain our family, it's become a storage facility for all the stuff we no longer need but don't want to get rid of. I cautiously open the overhead door and I'm greeted with an all too familiar sight. Bins, bikes, bikes for the bride, bikes for the boys, bungees, baseball equipment, kayaks, Kim's kayak, this kid's kayak, a Christmas tree in two parts, cans of paint, cords, electrical, not musical, scout supplies, saws, watch out, scooters, watch out, seasonal decorations, garden equipment, a go-kart, gas cans, game for the yard, tires, tools, tarps, twine, an arsenal of Nerf guns, because you never know, an array of used furniture, too nice or too bad to get rid of, an assortment of roof racks, four roofs of cars we no longer own, an abundance of leftover building supplies, because you never know. (sighs) So, you might have a place like this as well. It's not your garage. You have one of those nice, neat garages with that nice, smooth floor, right? Well, maybe it's a junk drawer, or as my family calls them, everything drawers. Maybe it's your Tupperware drawer, mom. (laughs) Maybe it's your workbench, dad. Maybe it's your home screen on your phone or your computer. Maybe it's a bookshelf, your attic, or your family calendar. Whatever it is, it's disorganized, cluttered, full of stuff. It's difficult to find anything you really need, embarrassing to show others, provokes you to anger, and in the case of my garage, downright dangerous. Where do you want me to put it? I inquire of my lovely wife. (laughs) On top of the blue bin, she answers. The Christmas tree is on top of the blue bin. Put it on top of the Christmas tree. The gray bin is on top of the Christmas tree on top of the blue bin. Figure it out. I'll figure it out. (laughs) Kim hands me the bin, and I attempt to be the victor in the game of garage Jenga. By the way, this is the only game of Jenga I know where if you make a wrong move, a circular saw might fall on your head. So I figured it out. 
I shut the door, brushed off my hands, and tried to forget about that place. That evening, with Garage Jenga still in my mind, I sat down to read my Bible. This is what I read as the Spirit began to reveal God's wonderful word to me. So you can follow along with me. The passages come from 2 Kings, uh, both in chapters 22 and 23. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jediah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshullam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought to the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen, who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them, for the money that is delivered into their hand, they will deal, for they, they deal honestly. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Helkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Helkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Elhikam, son of Shaphan, and Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Azekiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that has kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So we're going to skip ahead to the chapter 23, and read the first three verses. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, and to perform all the words of the covenant that were written in this book, and all the people joined in the covenant. And the last part we're going to read today is from 23. We'll skip down to 21 through 25. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who were judged in Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. 
Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and all his soul and all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Amen. So let's break it apart a little bit. So the first thing that stood out to me when I read this was how young Josiah was when he became king, eight years old. This is a pretty young age to become a king. Think about who you know that's eight years old running a kingdom. I wouldn't want that. But God in his providence and protection had put Josiah in, his pl- in, in place to reign, the, reign the, the country. So his father's, Amon's assassination, marked the beginning of his reign of Judah. Amon's father was Manasseh one of the most evil kings in the history of Judah. Highlights of Manasseh's reign included the following. Rebuilding the high places of idol worship that had been taken down by his father. Bowing down to the starry host and worshiping them. Erecting altars to foreign gods right in the temple of the Lord. This is great, right? The sacrifice of his own son in the fire and countless other acts of shedding of innocent blood. He practiced divination, sought omens, consulted mediums and spiritualists. He generally led God's people astray and into darkness. So Amon was his successor and was determined to follow in the same path. After two years, his officials recognized that another reign like Manasseh's would simply not be in Judah's best interest. They conspired against him and had him assassinated. Josiah becomes king at age eight. So he was young. There wasn't enough time for the father and the grandfather of Josiah to really influence him. Thank the Lord again for his providence and protection, right? In fact, it wasn't long before Josiah sees how his evil predecessors had erred and began to fear the consequences. Often God uses the least of these to bring real change to his kingdom. Reminds me of 1 Samuel 16.7. For the Lord sees as man sees. No, excuse me. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I I don't think this is really just indicative of him at eight years old. I think this is a summary of his whole 30-plus year reign. It's more of a general description of his whole reign. By the grace of God, with no good example to follow, Josiah was able to determine what was wrong or right in the eyes of the Lord. So fast forward a little bit. It says the 18th year of King Josiah. So it took time for his leadership and new outlook to be accepted. We too must be patient in affliction and persistent in our faith, even when we encounter opposition. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Josiah did not have this passage to guide him, but he was faithful to God and obedient to the Spirit working in him. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen, verse 4 and 5. There was obvious work and repair that needed to be done to this temple after the 55-year reign of Manasseh. It had become pretty much like my garage. Here we also meet, here in the name Hilkiah. Just a quick fact, Hilkiah was the father of Jeremiah, the prophet. Later on, we see Hilkiah exclaim, I have found the book of the law. 
According to Deuteronomy, the book of the law was to be placed beside the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the temple. When he finds it in a dusty corner, we see that the, the word was with Israel still, it was there, but it was greatly neglected. Was it the original manuscript penned by Moses himself? Could be. I like to imagine it was. Imagine how close this manuscript, this pre- these precious words, were to be lo- um, were being lost forever. Imagine how God, in His infinite wisdom, had protected it for all these years, behind the idols that Manasseh had put in the temple. Imagine the trembling hands of Hilkiah, and his excitement finding these ancient words. It's interesting to note too that these men that were clearing out the temple, weren't looking for the word. It's almost as if the word found them, as if the word was ready to change their lives, to, to put them in a right direction. So Hilkiah reads it, then Shaphan brings it to Josiah. Notice the difference between Hilkiah and Shaphan's reaction. Shaphan goes to Josiah, reports on the money, the overseers, the workmen, and oh, I found a book, or Hilkiah found a book. So obviously its importance had not yet been revealed to Shaphan by the Spirit. Certainly Hilkiah was different, and certainly Josiah's reaction was a lot different. He hears the word and he tears his clothes. This was an expression of horror and astonishment. Josiah was clearly experiencing conviction, the special work of the Holy Spirit. So Hilkiah finds it and reads it to Shaphan. Shaphan brings it and reads it to Josiah, God's word is spreading, slowly at first, person to person, but as we read later on, it spreads rapidly throughout the kingdom. Found, read, spread. Conviction, repentance, return, and revival are expected when we dive into the word of God. Go inquire of the Lord for me. So Josiah was so convicted by what, he was, by what was revealed to him by reading God's word, he didn't know what to do. Imagine hearing these things that have been lost for so long and realizing how lost you actually were. He didn't know what to do, so the first thing he does is go to God. We don't hear much more about the work on the temple structure itself. The book becomes the focus and catalyst for real revival. In chapter 23, the king calls together all the elders So Josiah, just prior to this, had received a message from God that judgment and punishment for the sins of the nation were inevitable. But the punishment would not occur in his lifetime. So he could have just lamented and despaired and done nothing. But he didn't. He wanted to get the kingdom right with God. But he needed help to do this. This was to be a national act. In unity, they would come to God, confess their sins, and recommit themselves to follow the Lord and keep his commandments, statutes, and decrees recently discovered in the book of the law. There was serious heart and soul level change when his wonderful word was read to the people. Well, who reads the book? Josiah, Josiah himself, the king, the leader, reads the book, publicly declaring his commitment. In response to his commitment and leadership, the people take a stand for the covenant as well. The spirit was at work indeed. So how do they celebrate this? What is the first act of Josiah? 
Well, he has the whole city, the whole nation celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. God designed the Passover as a way for the Israelites to remember the pivotal act of redemption in the Old Testament, God's deliverance from Egypt in the days of Moses. Finding, reading, sharing, and applying the book of the law would redeem these people from the evil and darkness brought about by Josiah's father and grandfather. It's another story of redemption. And of course, both of these pictures of redemption, both Israel's redemption from Egypt and Judah's redemption from darkness of Josiah's father and grandfather, they're all pointing to the real redemption of Jesus Christ. In finding, reading, sharing, and applying the Bible in our lives, we understand how by grace, Jesus will redeem those who came to faith in him. So the obvious connection here is with my garage and the temple, okay? I imagined my Bible being lost somewhere in the clutter of my garage, like the book of the law Hokiah found, right? Unseen, unused, forgotten. Well, that's sad and convicting enough. The spirit had more for me, though. I began to ponder the temple and its predecessor, the tabernacle. These were dwelling places for a divine king, mini Edens where God and man could live in peace, Yahweh's house, symbols of God's desire to live together with his creation. Then I remembered Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14, and how Matthew quoted Isaiah 7.14 claiming Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and how Jesus referred to his own body as the temple, saying it will be destroyed but will be rebuilt in three days, John 2.19-21. And how it was God's will to present Jesus as the perfect temple sacrifice to be sacrificed once for all in Hebrews 10.10. I thought to myself about how the temple in Judah, how my garage, how my life sometimes gets so cluttered with stuff, I end up pushing God's word away to gather dust in some dark corner. I turn my back on Jesus. I lose my way. As we learn from our scripture reading, restoration and reform are possible, but only when God's word, when Jesus, is elevated to the position of prominence in our lives. Only when the breath of God fills our lungs can we truly live. So I love music. One of my favorite musicians, uh, David Crowder, he's got a great beard, <clears throat> but he's got a great way of presenting God's word. I want to show you a video. The video is called Red Letters. The lyrics to the video, music video, are on the back of the green notes that were available out in the narthex. So meditate on the words that it's played. Take a look at some of the symbolism in the video if you can see it. And we'll come back together after and we'll discuss it. Crowder describes the inspiration for the song. I'll spare you the Texas accent, okay? When I was a kid, I remember sitting in a church pew next to my grandmother and asking her why some of her Bible was written in red. She explained it was the red letter edition, and whenever Jesus, God's only son, spoke, it was written in red. As a kid, I thought that was just how God wrote it. Nope, I was wrong about this and other things. Turns out it was a guy by the name of Louis Klopp, 
who in the late 1800s, it was, a, it was in the late 1800s and he very much wanted the common man to not only have access to scripture, but for the story of God's reconcilia- reconciliation to jump off the pages as it had for him. One evening he was reading in Luke 22, verse 20. This cup is a new covenant of my blood which is poured out for you. And that is when Mr. Klapsch had an idea. The words of Jesus in red. He didn't stop there. He and the editors went all the way to the beginning and took any scripture in the Old Testament foretelling the arrival of a Messiah, as well as any scriptures that Jesus was quoted as quoting and putting them in red as well. A scarlet thread woven through all of time and creation. Lewis Klapsch states in the introduction of his red letter Bible, it sheds a new radiance upon the sacred pages by which the reader is enabled to trace unerringly the scarlet thread of prophecy from Genesis to Malachi. Like the star which led the Magi to Bethlehem, this light shining through the entire world leads straight to the person of the divine Messiah as the fulfillment of the promise of all ages. Friends, East Glenville, family, the word of God changes lives. When we read, we learn of a new life with Jesus. Friends, that word shakes the ground. The word takes down walls. The word frees us and it transforms us. Our lives are a mess at times. We often veer off the path God has set for us. We stumble into darkness. We lose our way. So we've all probably heard the phrase, get lost in a good book, right? So East Glenville, I propose we get lost in the good book. Hey, if we're going to be lost, we might as well be lost in the good book. So I've got four ins to help us, right? I'm not a pastor, but I felt like I had to do something like that, you know? So here we go. The first in, get lost in the good book. Inspired. Charles Spurgeon said of the Holy Scriptures, this volume is the writing of the living God. Each letter was penned with an almighty finger. Each word in it dropped from everlasting lips. Each sentence was dictated by the Holy Spirit. Friends, the word of God is inspired. It's also inerrant. Because the Bible contains the very words of God and its authors were inspired by the Holy Spirit, scriptures are free from error. They are truth. Truth leads to freedom. God provides his inerrant word so that we don't err in how we live. God's word is inexhaustible. Because the Bible is inspired and errant, it is an inexhaustible source of knowledge, strength, and hope. There's no end to learning about God's great plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. There's no limit to the strength his word provides us for enduring temptation. There's no point where our sure and steadfast anchor of hope will slip or break. And the last one, bear with me here, I had to make it work, important. (laughs) Told you I wasn't a pastor. (laughs) Martin Luther, gripped by the Bible, said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. 
It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Church, when we pick up our Bibles and read and study them, we are experiencing God. Our Bibles should be the first thing we search for, the first place we go to advice, for advice, and our primary source for strength and hope. It's said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. So how do we apply this in our lives? I have three suggestions. Choose one, two, three, none, I don't care. There's just some options for you to think about. Think about how the message affected you today. Think about your garage, okay, where your Bible is at home, where your Bible is, where the word of God is in your life. And there's three different ways that we could apply this message today. Repent. I feel like I should be like, repent. Repent, the word derived from a Greek word that means turn around. From that convicting work of the Holy Spirit, the sinner repents. Think about Josiah tearing his clothes. He changes his mind about sin, the Savior, and salvation. The sinner, when he repents, turns away from sin toward faith in the Savior, and that faith is shown in action. Grab it, buy it, find it, dust it off, and read it. Humbly ask the Spirit to reveal the God-breathed, life-changing words of the Bible to you. Soak up every drop of that remarkable fountain. Study. Spend time reading and meditating on his word. Actively seek opportunities to learn from those whom the Spirit has given greater insight and revealed greater depth to Scripture than you. Psalm 119 encourages us here. In the way of your testimonies, I will delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. Share. There's no greater privilege than being able to share his word with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Read through the scripture together with someone. Take your time. Do a plan. Do whatever it takes to get you in the word. The more experience you have with his word, the more God will equip you to share his word with people outside of the church as well. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us, even with messy garages, messy lives, and dusty Bibles. Thank you that you provided a way for redemption and restoration in your son, Jesus. Thank you for your word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you for the spirit which resides in the temple of our bodies this very moment. Spirit, work in a big way in our hearts. Help us to seek God and to love him with all our hearts, all our souls, minds, and strength. In the sweet name of Jesus, the word and flesh, our redeemer. Amen.